Please do turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who desire righteousness. Blessed are those who desire righteousness. Reading from verse 1 of chapter 5 to verse 6. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 to verse 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We have observed what is the righteousness for which the blessed hunger and thirst. It's not primarily a justification, but a progressive, a pursuit for living right with God. Obviously, it is because there is this righteousness from Christ and therefore you're able to live what is right in the eyes of God. The righteousness that is to do with obedience to God. It is a relationship of obedience of God motivated by seeking to please God and act in virtuous manner for his glory. Secondly, we dealt with the question, answered the question, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? How does one hunger and thirst after this righteousness? We stated that to hunger and thirst is to strongly desire. It is to personally, intensely aspire for a relationship of obedience and trust with God. We observe that what the Lord is referring to in this teaching is an intense longing after righteousness that is likened to both hunger and thirst, without which people died. So the psalmist was able to say, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? and appear before God. Isaiah, we noticed, invited us to this. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and you has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without man and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not great, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, when you read Psalm 42 and verse 2, and Isaiah 55 and verse 2, that in both there is a longing for what is promised in Matthew 5 verse 6. The longing in Psalm 42 verse 2 is, when shall I come and appear before God? When shall I come and in a sense have this thirst completely quenched? And in Isaiah, when shall I delight myself in rich food? When will this happen, God? 
And the Lord Jesus Christ promises that in verse 6 of Matthew 5. For they shall be satisfied. We say to hunger and thirst for righteousness means not to occasionally to want to do what is right. Jesus is not pointing us to occasional acts of righteousness. He's pointing us to a passionate concern for the right, for passionate concern to do what is right or upright or virtuous constantly as a way of life. We then emphasized the concluding remark in considering the righteousness and what it is and basically the statement that if this is absent, if truly you are not hungering for God's righteousness, we must ask the fundamental question, are you sure you are saved? So observed Martin Lloyd-Jones words on those statements and another theologians on those words. Hunger is a sign of life, hunger is a sign of health, and therefore if you do not have them, you probably are not alive and you probably are very sick. In the fourth place, we observed the importance of righteousness demonstrated by its regularity in the Sermon on the Mount. We observed the importance of righteousness demonstrated by its regularity in the Sermon on the Mount. We have it in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have it in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have it in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you never enter the kingdom of heaven. We have it in chapter 6, verse 33, as a priority matter. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will follow. And we indicated if Christ deems it fit to repeat it so many times, this obviously is an important Christian virtue. It is true to say that without it, all that anyone does in the name of Christianity lamentably falls short. Still considering verse 6, number 5, this afternoon we consider the beatitude as a call for a test of heavenly citizenship. The beatitude as a call or is a call for a test of heavenly citizenship. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is in its essence a thirsting for God himself. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is in its essential components a thirsting and hungering for God. It is a desire to be in the presence of God continuously and in a more glorious way than we are experiencing now. It is a thirsting for God the satisfaction it is a thirsting for God's quenching of our thirst. It is a longing for fellowship with this God. It is a longing for communion with this God. That's what the psalmist tells us. 
that what the Lord Jesus in Matthew 5 verse 6 simply refers to blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness in the same similitude the psalmist basically quits this thirsting and hungering as the desiring of the soul for God himself. So Psalm 42, this is what we read in verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for flowing streams, as the deer thirsts to drink, so pants my soul for you, O God. That's the language that the Lord Jesus imports in verse 6 of Matthew 5. And it's the same language the psalmist is illustrating in his desire to be with God. And the psalmist, this is not strange. Because some of the things you read about him, he would say things like, it's better. It's better even just for a day to be in the house of God than a thousand years outside it. In other words, Old Testament language, I would rather be with God in the place of his dwelling. So in his being in his house, he's not simply coming in God's house and the owner is not there. It is going into this house and commune with this God. And he uses this language as the dear pants. And again you notice the intensity of this longing. It is in picture form of deers really looking for water that if in the place they are, as we watch on television, that the rivers have dried up, they will emigrate or they will move and go where the waters are and literally panting because without it they would only survive for a period and that's the picture the psalmist gives us and he's saying to us this longing this intense desire this strong wanting is actually the soul's thirst for God as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Notice verse 2. My soul thirsts for God. Implication, my soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you, God? Notice that the hero, the subject, the focus in that verse is God. David or you psalmist, who is your focus? Who is your preoccupation? Who are you longing to commune with? Whose presence would you want to be in? The psalmist says, I'll give it to you in picture form. But I'll also give it to you in the language that comes from well deep under my diaphragm, from the very inner being of myself, my soul, my heart. The inner being of me is not settled, is not happy, is not joyful because this longing is to be satisfied and I'm looking forward to that day. And that's the language we have in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Truly that must, this must be a hungering for God because any righteousness that is not the righteousness of God 
is not what we are looking for, is not what we are longing for. We are pursuing to be like Christ. We are pursuing to be godly. We are pursuing to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. The virtues of God at work. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in our lives. That when people look at us, they'll be able to say, there is a righteous person, but he's not only righteous, but he's pursuing. He's hungering for righteousness. But this hungering is actually for God himself. Why do I say the beatitude is a call for a test of heavenly citizenship? The glorious and infinitely beautiful blessing of heaven is this eternal enjoying the presence of God. The presence of God unblemished as far as God would accord it to us. This fellowship, the closest we will be. The best we will be. And the eternal curse is this eternal separation from the righteous, the presence, the very being of God in heaven. And so the psalmist then says, when shall I come and appear before God? My soul thirsts. Tells us the same thing in Psalm 63 verse 1. Basically, that hungering and thirsting for righteousness is in its essence a thirsting for God. Oh God, Psalm 63 verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. Notice the language again. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This thirsting and hungering we introduce towards righteousness, the psalmist says, this actually is a hungering and thirsting for God himself. And notice in Psalms 3, he introduces another word, that this longing actually is a fainting. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land, where there is no water. He tells us the same thing, that this hungering and thirsting is in essence a thirsting for God. In Psalm 84 verse 2, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul, yes, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh, sing for joy to the living God. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying to us. And he does this when later on you say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can't be saved. It's impossible to be saved. What is the righteousness that saved? It's a righteousness of God. It's a righteousness that says, yes, accepted before God, but also living such a life. So this is not simply, I am justified, as we were told here, I am forgiven, I've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the story ends there. No, it's a whole journey that all along your walk, you always are longing and thirsty. So those in the baptism class will tell you, one of my every Lord's Day song is this, 
If this is simply about showing off that I've now been baptized and you come out of the waters one month down the road we hear you are being chased because you stole somebody's money, please don't get baptized. This is not just a one-off. But it must even be seriously said, this is not just a one experience at your salvation day. From that day, you began a journey, and that journey in relation to verse 6 is a pursuit of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. A hungering for intimacy with God. Fellowship with God. And you notice that if you're living a healthy Christian life, when you sin, the first relationship to be affected is your relationship with God. That if you pray earnestly and you offend God, you do not come before God with boldness. Because the conscience is saying to you, something has not been dealt with. Deal with this. The Holy Spirit will not let you alone until that offense is addressed. And therefore, beloved, be warned. If you are comfortable in sin, you are in a dangerous situation. If you are comfortable, if you perpetually living a sinful life and nothing bothers you, that's a serious issue. The Apostle Paul may call that as your conscience being seared. The iron has passed over it. If it's a garment not fit to wear anymore, it's not being sensitive. If it's in the traffic lights, they are not showing you red. It's always green and that's malfunctioning. And the psalmist calls us to this desire. You cannot be in the presence of God and entertain and enjoy and celebrate sin. You can't do that. Read of men that encountered God. Ask Isaiah. How did you feel when you beheld the glory of God? Ask John. Ask Paul. When God chose to reveal himself to them, ask Moses. His stubbornness, I'm going to see. And God says to him, stop there. You can't come any further. I need to deal with you. I need to cleanse you. So get yourself hands, put your hands in your pocket. You are a leprous individual. You are a sinful person. You read the Old Testament, you have this repeated, we just saw that in reading the Ten Commandments. Moses, this your God, is a glorious and mighty one. You speak to him, because if we do, we scared we will die. Why they are afraid, is a righteous God. You cannot thirst after God and live a life indifferent to sin. And therefore, if this is a pursuit after God, this is a longing for heaven itself. This is a longing that says, look, when is it that I will be in glory land? When is it that I will stop battling with sin? And so the psalmist is able to say, when shall I appear? Isaiah is able to say, when shall I be delighted in the food of heaven? In the context of Matthew 5, when shall I be satisfied? Might be a test of it in this life. But that life ultimately 
is the life in glory land. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is the desire for a taste of heavenly citizenship. There will be no unrighteous people in heaven. There will be no sinners in heaven. Everyone. Today, those that are in heaven with the Lord, the angelic host, those in the intermediate state awaiting glorification with us are a people who have been fair to sin. They have entered a realm of sinlessness. And that's a realm we're longing to enter. Where sin will completely be absent. To not show up in heaven. There will be no temptations. We'll have entered the realm of God. In the presence of God, a holy one. And Christ shall illuminate that place. The Beatitudes, the challenge to what must be the object of Christian aspiration. Beatitudes is a challenge. The Beatitude is asking, is this your desire? Is this what you're longing for? It's not simply showing us what is this righteousness. It's not simply saying, how can you become this? It is also saying, can you ask this question? Is this your longing? Beloved, I would like to say again that when you speak about repentance as a saved person, this is not just simply some head thing. I repented and I, I received Jesus Christ in my life and therefore I know. Now the real test is this. Are you always repenting? Are you always believing? Are you longing in the language of the beatitude? To simply think it's done. Sometimes we, we think in a fatalistic manner. We do not live in loss of salvation. One saved, always saved. Therefore it doesn't matter how I live. You haven't read the scriptures properly. If that's your position, because your salvation is safe, then it doesn't matter how you live, well, read John. He will tell you this. Those that have known him, those that have experienced him, walk in the light. That's their pattern of walking. They walk as though they are children of God. They demonstrate their very nature. They are a new creation. They evidence the new life that is given to them so they walk in newness of life. They demonstrate who they are, a holy priesthood, a people belonging to They are a holy nation. Claim to be a Christian and indifferent to sin. The contradiction of terms. Are you longing for righteousness? Are you thirsting for God himself? The beatitude is a challenge to what, we must, what must be the object of Christian aspiration 
righteousness. It is a call to conform it to God's will. The God who is righteous. The God who has given us the Ten Commandments. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. Except in two, keep the Sabbath. Obey your parents. The rest are, you shall not. You shall not. Keep the Sabbath. Obey your parents. And there we have the standard. In summary. And everything, these right things we must pursue are measured against this standard. It is a call to conform it to God's will. We must ask, what is it that will please God? Sometimes we are so obsessed with personal convictions that we're not even asking the question, is God pleased? Is God pleased? We're so comfortable with, for me this is okay. Now the chief question must be, is this okay with God? It is a challenge to pursue personal purity. It is a challenge to pursue personal purity. It is a question or go to do what is biblically right. That's what the beatitude is calling us to. To do what is biblically right. Richard states, and rightly so, that soul starvation is a sad and a guilty thing. He writes, the utter starving of the soul, if we could see it as we see other things, it would strike us as one of the saddest things. When the shepherd in New York had a house for the receiving of orphaned children, and on inspection found that the soup was giving the children, the soup that was given the children was very thin, and that there was but little of it. So not only was it thin in terms of um, the density of the soup, but very little of it was given. But this is in an orphanage. This is in a place where orphans are brought in and you are hoping that they will be better here. That the food was mostly meanly distributed out. And that these children were gradually coming to be skinned and burned by starvation in a place of charity. The whole city burned with anger. They threw open the door of the children's home and grabbed the owner or the one running the home by the throat and held him ignominiously, disgracefully against the wall. What is it that incensed them? What is it that angered them? It is simply this, that he was starving orphans, was not feeding them. What are we angry when our souls are being starved? when they are not pursuing righteousness. He continues to write, but look into your own soul and see how the things that are nearest to God are shut up in you. While you awaken the appetites and passions are fully clothed and are walking up and down the palace of your soul having their own way, I hear a faint cry in some remote chamber thereof. It is conscious mourning and pleading for food. And I hear the thundering rap of passions on the door as they say, Hush, be still, 
Are you never going to sleep? Will you never die? In another quarter, I hear the soul crying for food. What else you? Is there a response? Is the response and the bone is thrown in for it to know own? Simply putting this in picture language and is asking the question, when your soul thirsts, your soul hungers, are you feeding it? Are you providing for this thirst? Are you going to the one that is able to say, here is water? Or you are ignoring the cries of the soul? Or maybe you're not even listening to these cries because you are dead. Because you are not sensitive to these things. Maybe because you don't know the beauty of having fellowship with God. If you've been a Christian and God has exposed you to this, you probably have had seasons of your experience that you can point to and say, that was a glorious that, that you can say, I enjoyed the sweetness with God and I'm longing to enjoy this for a long period. The problem with many of us, we content. We content with a complete desert, being in wizard land. That there is no experience and enjoyment of God, therefore there is no longing. You know, when people say to you, Pisa is nice, I've always not, not sure what the pronunciation is, whether it's pizza or pizza, whichever it is. And when they say to you, it's nice, if you've not tested it, if you don't know it, you have no clue. You have no clue. So someone might be saying, I am longing for my God, but if you don't know this God, you never understand. And he is here calling us to hunger and thirst for that heavenly experience. But that heavenly test, we have the foretaste of it here on earth. And our longing is to have it in full when shall I appear before God. Having considered the beatitude, we conclude with the following question. How shall those who hunger and thirst for righteousness be satisfied? How shall those who hunger and thirst for righteousness be satisfied? Now, some of the words I would like to use here are a little graphic, but they communicate the sense I couldn't find other appropriate words. But before exploring how those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied, observe firstly what the Beatitude states as a matter of fact. It states that the desires of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be satisfied. That's a promise. They shall be satisfied. The text implies the stability of the promise and that this satisfaction is sure. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How shall they be satisfied? Satisfied carry the sense of being filled, literally being stuffed, being filled by God. The, the picture you have here is the closest I've come, I think it's in Egypt, 
I can't remember clearly, but it's probably there, that beauty in this community for the ladies is defined by how much weight, uh, how big the lady is, so that even in their childhood, the babies are literally forced to drink milk. The baby may not want that. This is, might be a daughter of seven years, ten years. She may vomit, they will just stuff it. That's the picture you have. That this satisfaction is to overflowing. And this shall come in glory land. We have experiences of it. But this overflowing, this saying, there will be no sense of, look, I am not, I am kind of starving here. They shall be filled. This is what God through Isaiah calls us to come, everyone who thirsts. This is in the now. Are you thirsty? Come. Come to the waters. And you who has no money, come buy and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? In other words, that which is not satisfying. And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. If you grew up in Lambaland, Alokota village, and all you knew is katapa without cooking oil, just salt, that's not delightful food. That is survival. What can we do? You don't care, just eat. In Wakula province, the David Stundu was one of the elders at Central Baptist Church. He used to uh, laugh at the people from there that look. It's interesting that in Wakula, you eat things that, other than fish, are not nutritional. Kasaba shima. There is nothing. And then you find kataka. You overcook it. They put too much salt. And that's how you survive. That's not delightful. Delightful is chicken in balance. Ask me what it is, I will tell you. It's this, the food itself. Even if you are satisfied, you pretend as the members do, no kana kwamwe mbakusuna polumo, but you discover seven. <laughs> because the food, before you put it here, it just takes itself back, God. It's delight, you enjoy eating. You know, in most of our people, eating is a struggle. Because you're not enjoying it. Enjoying it. Delightful food prepared by God himself. It is to have the intense longing for the deprivation fulfilled. This hunger, you get it satisfied. I don't know about your children, and I hope I'll not be in trouble when we go home, uh, that some of my children, when they're hungry, all of a sudden they have a headache. What's the problem? My head. And you're thinking, 
this is just about 13.30, my son. So let's, let's just pray that the headache finishes. We'll, we'll give you panadol after you've eaten. Lunch comes to the table after eating a little bit of water. I just discovered it's jumping outside. What happened to your headache? And I'm okay now. That's what food does. It's a satisfying for this hungering and painful experience. It's a complete or total satisfaction and fulfillment of the longing for righteousness. The word fulfilled, satisfied means to be fed or to fatten cattle from the word for fodder or grass as used in Mark chapter 639. Will be fattened. Will have gone to, in the language of the psalmist, green pastures. And will be lavished with God's glorious food. The hungering and thirsting is not for part of righteousness, but for total righteousness. For all that righteousness that is possible to have. And God has promised nothing less but total, complete righteousness. This satisfaction is constant and an endless fullness. It is inexhaustible and immeasurable. The fullness of the creature is fluctuating and it ebbs and varies, but God's feeling, God's satisfying, God is overflowing and overflowing. It is never failing goodness. But this satisfaction is conditional. It is for those who hunger and thirst. It's conditional. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied in plentitude. This verse, beloved, is an invitation to come to Christ. Why do I say so? Because of the following words from Jesus himself. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Jesus is saying, that's a sign. Please come. Come for salvation. Come for righteousness. Come for holiness. Come for godliness. Come and learn from me to do what is right. That was John 6.35. John 7.37, on the last day of the feast, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. We already read Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts. If this is what God would do, just by reading some Psalms, what then must be our response? Psalm 103. How should we respond to God's satisfaction, to God's satisfying us? Psalm 103. There, the psalmist tells us how we must respond. And really we must respond in the spirit of this month, in the calendar of our church, with gratitude. With gratitude. Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. The response of a satisfied soul is a response of gratitude, a response of thankfulness, a response of appreciativeness. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, 
who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with food so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If this is what God does, what do you do? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Psalm 107. How does the satisfied soul that hungers repeatedly goes to God and dissatisfies it? What do they do? Psalm 107, 1 to 9. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the hand, from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding nowhere to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry so he feels with good things. What's their response? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Are you sure God has not satisfied you as far as this part of life is concerned? Are you sure he has not been good to you? If you are saved, surely he has been good. He is good. Won't you therefore bless the Lord won't you be thankful? We live in a world where many have no jobs. Many of us here have jobs, have sources of income. We are not suffering as multitudes are. Surely you must be grateful to God. Won't you be grateful for his spiritual blessings, forgiven your sins, has redeemed you? Won't you be grateful? Won't you show that in practical terms by saying to God, to some degree, with some amount, some practical thing, saying thank you. Won't you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we can add there, and surely they shall bless the Lord. Please do bless the Lord. Please do pursue righteousness. Hunger after it and thirst for it. If you are saved, you will. Unless you're terribly backslidden, please repent. If you are not, come to Christ. He will give you food. Amen.